0: welcome to let's talk about gay stuff we're the podcast that talks about gay stuff and discusses lgbtq plus history (laughs) we are thomas and chris okay so just to be clear this is not a full episode right we are you know like we we're coming back from a break a break, a break. It, it was just a break. It was just a break <laughs> to hearken uh, back to our our friends, uh huh, Friend, friends, quote unquote no, friends. Like it was our just listeners. A, our, no, no friends. Like that was a, that was a thing with the the team. Oh, oh yes, you're yes, too yes, young yes, to know yes. this. You no, I I the, understand the it. Friends. I don't like. I don't identify with it. <laughs>
1: It was like we
2: were just on a break. That yes. was the TV
1: show. Yeah, Friends. I get it. Oh my gosh. I'm I get it now
0: that I'm you depressed explained now. It to me. I'm going to go jump off a
2: cliff now.
1: Okay,
0: so we're coming back at you guys like but I, we hear a lot of folks say love your podcast. This is wonderful. This is amazing. You make me laugh, you make me cry. But Lots of uh, but we are we're, we're so catching up. Uh-huh. So we're we're kind of approaching season four. Four.
2: I don't know what numbers you know, we're at we're season now. <laughs> four
0: at a at a at a casual pace. Uh-huh. Okay. So before we've given you the week to week realness, and now we're just giving you a dabble. A dabble. <laughs> here's here's your touch your toes in. So this is not a full episode, by uh-huh. the way. This is a recap episode. Yes. We should note, uh, October is LGBTQ History Month. Yes. And back in April, May, when we celebrated our 100th episode, we had the founder of LGBTQ Plus History Month, Rodney Wilson. Yes. Join us. He celebrated our 100th episode. So you have to think about this, Chris. The uh, milestone. A milestone. It was a milestone, but... He came this early. Is, this is a, Christmas
1: came early for
0: the gays. This is a podcast about LGBTQ plus history, uh-huh. and then all of a sudden, the LGBTQ history plus like professor, the founder of LGBTQ History Month, was like, "Can I let, let's be on your podcast?" And the man. He came to dabble. The man came to be on our podcast. Our uh-huh. little. Our little. Our little podcast. Uh-huh. Let's talk about gay stuff. And so, I mean, we're in October, mm-hmm. and. Look, we're not trying to like, we're not trying to give you guys total like
2: gay, 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 gay. gay.
0: Like, we're <laughs> just gonna, we're gonna slowly give <laughs> we're you, we're gonna dabble <laughs> all of the realness. Um, so, we're gonna give you a recap episode. Uh-huh. Episode 100 is when we brought Rodney Wilson, the founder of LGBTQ Hi- History Month. Actually, when he started the History Month, it was lesbian and gay history month uh-huh. because you know that's it was where just we were. the l's and the g's that's where we were at the in time absolutely yeah and so um I think it's worth, though, like you said, revisiting. I mean, we had the founder of the LGBTQ mm-hmm. history month here. So, we he started this back uh, two years before. Two years after. I was two. Were you, I was two. Two. Were you even born? I was two. When were, that you even, were you even born? <laughs> were you were a baby. You were a baby. <laughs> and Rodney, I mean, since episode 100, when he came and like dropped all of his, his knowledge. history knowledge. I mean, and if you haven't listened to this episode already, it is worth listening to. Mm-hmm. Cause we're gonna replay it. Uh, yeah, in this episode coming <laughs> up. <laughs> Spoiler Surprise! alert! Surprise. <laughs> uh, if you haven't like pressed like okay, go back to. Uh-huh. No, we're gonna we're gonna give it to you in this episode and this recap episode. But he he had an like incredible coming out story. First, uh, uh, out gay person in in Missouri uh-huh. as a teacher. So then, like, he was on Dateline, he was on Ricky Lake. You know, I mean, you don't know it's Ricky a Lake. Big thing. The only thing you know about Ricky Lake is when M- Nicki Minaj said, What are you, Ricky Lake? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, surprise. Okay. I'm young. <laughs> but I'm, not, well, I'm just trying. I know, to, I'm I get trying. Relation. Relate Related. to the youths. <laughs> Um, but it was a big deal, yeah. and so um, you know, one of our 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 prior hosts, Kendall, like he he was in the interview with me, and uh, he there was an emotional moment because he remembered Rodney Wilson like on TV. Mm-hmm. He was like, "Oh my gosh, I hated when you came on TV." Yeah. So it was like a crazy moment because we we started this interview like, oh we're going to interview the founder of LGBTQ plus history. And kind of like got emotional and got did, into did, it. Yeah. Didn't tell me that before we, we started. Did he remember therapy. that? Like, did he know? He did. He was like, Oh, I remember him. And that's yeah. all he said. And then we got into the interview and stuff got real. Yeah. So look, I'm not going to tell you how real it got. You just need to listen to the episode. Uh huh. Because this is a good episode. Of course. The founder of LGBTQ plus history. The one who has Month. a feelings, And especially if you can have a connection to that, that's very important. And he's been a super awesome guy. He actually came. So full circle moment, right? <laughs> so I, I connected. So I wrote a, a, a blog for the Greater Houston LGBT Chamber of Commerce. Of course. In October of 2020 about LGBTQ. Q Plus History Month. And then in March of 2021, I got a note from Rodney Wilson saying, Thank you for like recognizing this month and celebrating it and promoting it. I was like, Oh, that's a powerful moment. I mean, Look, the only th- person I thought was going to read that blog, and I, I don't even think she was going to read it, was my mom. Yeah. Like, th- the only person who's like, good job, is every blog post yeah. I do. Yolanda's out there just saying mom. thumbs up. And you're right. Yolanda has been on this, <laughs> this podcast. So she was going to be like, amazing. I love you, babies. So thank you, mijo. Like, that was going to be it. Love you, mom. Thank you. I love, love, love my mom. Uh-huh. So uh, that that's it. And then for Rodney Wilson, again, the founder the of LGBTQ, LGBTQ history, plus history Month, month yes. like to be like, hey, I appreciate your blog and thank you for doing that. That is powerful. It was like, hold up, like, we need to bring this guy yes. on the podcast. And we did. Yeah, celebrated 100 episodes in style. But cut to October 2021, right? Uh-huh. I wrote the blog in October 2020, and then October 2021, I was like, "Hey, uh, why don't, why doesn't our podcast let's like, talk about combined? Gay stuff, let's do something. Let's let's do something like to celebrate the the month and celebrate you, Rodney Wilson, uh-huh. for like doing this amazing thing. So with the Greater Houston LGBT uh, Chamber of Commerce, which we are a member of. Uh they have a monthly event, and we sponsored that event. And he gladly did a Q and A with us and talked about why he founded LGBTQ Plus History Month. I love that. And of course, again, he shared all this in our hundredth episode. And so, I think at this point now, people should just listen. Just to listen. The just listen, honey. It is amazeballs. <laughs> Welcome to Let's Talk About Gay Stuff. Woohoo. It's a celebration. It's at the podcast where we talk about gay stuff and discuss LGBTQ plus history. We are Thomas. Kendall. And this week we're celebrating episode one hundred. Woohoo. Not excited?
1: It's one hundred episodes. I saved my woohoos for the two hundredth episode. You haven't done anything hundred times i know i haven't had a job last that long it's like
0: this is the longest thing you've had come on
1: just be excited i enjoy retirement now you're
0: quitting it's just me next week it'll be we are thomas i'm like i'm like beyonce like the last one standing no i'm like michelle we'll see we all know we all know and
1: everyone will miss the good old days when the band was the full band was together
0: michelle michelle's the gospel singer right yeah yeah that's me Cause I got vocals. I can't dance, and I got the vocals. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go on a reunion tour. So now that would be good. We can sell tickets for the reunion tour.
1: I was trying to make money. This one,
0: <laughs> I'm just
1: you know people
0: people will <laughs> Pass like, the hey. com-
1: communion plate or the yeah. offering plate.
0: Hey, you know what? Maybe then we can. I don't know. We can afford. Uh, We
1: can finally have that pizza party you've been promising Yes,
0: you know pizza party I'm beginning
1: to think, we're not going to have that pizza party What's that from? It's the 100th episode No pizza parties (laughs) Uh, Maybe
0: we'll have a CBD party But just with the Bake Bones treats You know, speaking of, we have 100 episodes in And we've gotten a lot of support from our friends at Bake Bones And recent Gallup poll shows that Americans have reported Feeling stress, worry, and anger at the highest levels In over a decade And while we're growing more and more aware of the effects of stress on our bodies and mind We may not have considered the effects that our stress can have on our pets. According to a 2019 study, there's a synchronization between stress hormones in humans and their dogs. And if you're a dog parent, you probably know that your pup is very good at reading your body language and quickly pick up on how you're feeling. We're always working to reduce our stress in any way we can, but what about the anxiety we may have passed on to our dogs? Baked Bones has a solution. CBD has been shown to help reduce stress and anxiety of both humans and dogs, and Baked Bones has your dog covered. Made from organic, cumin-grade ingredients and full-spectrum hemp oil, their bones may offer some relief to your anxious pup. You can check out BakedBones.com for more information on CBD for dogs and the other benefits it may provide. Baked Bones offers free shipping on all orders over $25, and you can save 15% using the promo code GAYSTUFF15. That's G-A-Y-S-T-U ff15 baked bones is lgbtq owned and operated and is based in houston texas baked bones is now available at man ready mercantile which is a store in houston and austin if you're shopping around in person baked bones also proudly donates 10 percent of all their profits to no kill shelters in the u.s baked bones baked dogs happy maybe they'll make us a birthday cake you think you know the guys will do that chris will he's the baker
1: right after that pizza party we have (laughs)
0: We'll have the pizza party and we'll ask Chris to, I mean, if he makes the dog treats that good, I got to imagine his, his cakes are really good. No. Uh,
1: let's not talk about a sponsor's cakes. That's oh. disrespectful. <laughs> not those oh, cakes. They pay us. I'm a married
0: man. <laughs> All right, I can't talk like that. Um, yeah. So hundred episodes. That's exciting. Uh, we're also coming up on our two year anniversary. Mm-hmm. So, which,
1: you know. Do you have your costume laid out?
0: I do. Yeah, I do so let's hope this uh you know year three is better than your you know our... <laughs> just i
1: kidding. know our, our 10 years of dating
0: <laughs> just kidding uh yeah I have uh i'm gonna wear didn't let's hopefully that yeah the, the podcast has uh long lives the, yes uh i'll be uh i'll be wearing sparkles uh what do you wear for 100 what's the what's the I think nipple years. clamps
1: are the traditional garb. Uh,
0: yeah, nipple clamps for two year of gay stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm done with that. It's been a long journey, you know. Uh, you know, it's funny because we talked about our first episode, Ronnie Reagan, uh, your your boy, and uh, his um, his uh, basically turning his back on the LGBTQ community. But hey, don't
1: threaten me with a good time, Ronnie. <laughs>
0: Uh, with the, his uh, response or lack of response to the AIDS crisis. And then you start the sending yeah. me garbage about you know this article where they're basically, I guess, trying to revive um, old Nancy's uh, record, her and her husband's record with the... Or with,
1: cast her gay record in a, a better light.
0: Right, trying to pardon her, basically saying she wasn't that bad. She tried to help her. Well, out. it was an, was an interesting, a, nuanced
1: it article. A, it's coming from a new Nancy biography book that's coming out
0: was an esquire what was the
1: i'm not sure the article but i know it was an excerpt from a book that's coming out soon um so nancy got a i remember when hillary clinton was running for president so nancy died i think 2016 and hillary went on msnbc and said uh what nancy did so much for the aids fight and then people attacked hillary so much for saying that like do you know nothing <laughs> About what she did during the 80s that Hillary had to apologize. Because the Reagans really, when the AIDS crisis was happening, said nothing for years. Despite having and gay The friends. first four years, yeah. And they did have, they came from Hollywood. She There was the first openly gay couple to stay at the White House was her decorator, Ted Graeber and his partner.
0: They were their guests. Yeah, in the, the White House in yeah. the
1: private residence. Um, and then she was friends with, they were friends with Rock Hudson
0: and you know she wasn't looking that good without the help of some gay people, not to stereotype our people, but, I mean, she looked, I mean, she was always dressed well. Like, her hair was always done, makeup, clothing.
1: Yeah, well, there was, a, well, her hairdresser, well, her hairdresser, she, this article said, she accidentally drank water when he was visiting, doing her hair, she drank his water, and then she went to the White House physician and said, I drank his water, you need to test me, tell me if I'm gonna have AIDS and he said you can't and she said but i need to know like she was like very dramatic about it which really shows the ignorance of a lot of people at the yeah. time but especially conservatives um but another one of her close friends just to get all the that she did just so you know that she did have a lot of gay friends you'd think she would have a better um response to the aids epidemic there's a guy called jerry i don't know his last name so i don't even want to guess it but he was known as walk as socialite walker <laughs> like a dog walker <laughs> anytime these married women women married to very wealthy men um, needed like someone to go to a gala event or a charity event any kind of social engagement he would come he was friends with all these women like basically the token gave the group and he would they called him the walker cuz he would walk them to and from so they all and she loved truman capote too as a friend. So she had a lot of gay friends, but during the AIDS epidemic, she kept her mouth shut is how history goes. Mm-hmm. Now this new book is saying actually behind the scenes, she was really pushing for Ronald Reagan to say something and do something. Um, and she was being pushed by her son, Ron Reagan Jr. Yeah. who I believe, cause he was a dancer at the time. And there were a lot of r- rumors uh, that he was gay. I don't think he is, but he was in the ballet, New York, Could Ballet the spectrum, um, so apparently they were trying to one two, get to Ronald um, to get him to do something about the AIDS crisis, but there's a lot of backlash to reimagining her as this gay heroine because people are like, "Uh, no."
0: Oh yeah, I'm part of that uh, that experience. Like, I, I don't think. I mean, come on. She what did she do? I mean, she said, "Oh well, she could only do so much." I mean, there well, the sad
1: of thing people. is though, we wondered, sometimes in history we're like, "Well, she wasn't as mean as she appeared," but that's not being supportive.
0: But she wasn't doing anything. I
1: mean, what I mean, she, right. but she wasn't doing anything out there. And she there. wasn't doing anything for political reasons, right? Because she could
0: have. Yeah. I mean, it's sad. One of the the things. So the article was in the Atlantic. Well, Nancy Reagan's real role in the AIDS crisis. Uh, the story talks about one of her like personal, basically her gopher. Uh, you know, he he was doing all sorts of like bidding on her behalf, and. Uh, he had moved from Florida, I guess, to D.C. And then his boyfriend was a real estate person, dying of AIDS. Oh yeah, AIDS, and he's like I... one of her favorite assistants. Yeah, he was like, "Here I was, the closest, so close to power, yet I could do nothing." I he just sat on. the Yeah, fact his that partner
1: his... died of AIDS, and he never even told her he was gay. Yeah. And he, they were so close that he was the one that when she needed a facelift in 1986, he booked That's it what for. It. I was like, there was a, some significance. And then arranged for her to stay at Gloria Vanderbilt's house.
0: You know, it's crazy that while they... While it healed. Yeah, which is also... Which
1: is a long tradition of first ladies disappearing for minor procedures. Remember Melania was gone for like, I don't know, 10 days. Yeah. Um. For something about her kidney and... What do you think she had Her touched? jugs came out much larger. <laughs> Her kidneys were now on her chest.
0: Oh, oh my. Uh, I think it was one of the things that I thought was interesting, because we've talked about this before, how either there's some similarities to the AIDS crisis to uh, COVID-19. Obviously mm-hmm. different in terms of the trans, uh, transferability rate and all that sort of stuff. But um, they were talking about uh, you know basically tattooing uh, people who were— There was were... somebody
1: in the administration that said we need to tattoo intravenous drug users— on their arm that they have aids and for men we need a tattoo on their butt For cheek. gay men yeah, on their butt which butt is cheeks. basically putting a mark on them saying avoid me. Right. You know, I'm unclean, unsafe, which is, I mean, and contagious. Which
0: is where I get a little, you know, hesitant when people are talking about these vaccine uh passports for covid i'm like i don't want people because i mean it's a way to manipulate it about like okay well if we did this for covid then we can do this for hiv now i get for schools you have to have uh you know vaccine records but that's different than going to you know the
1: going to Macy's or something. I don't think it's necessary. So what do you, how long does that last? Yeah.
0: And like I said, and then when do you add other stuff on there? Like, okay, I want to make sure you haven't had this or this or this. Show me your, you know, you're clear from HIV. Let me, and then you're, and then what this does is, it burdens you from doing stuff, right? So if I have to prove that I've had some vaccine to HIV or syphilis or gonorrhea, whatever you want to name,
1: I have to go get God, tested. My wallet's not big enough.
0: <laughs> I've got to get tested every time before I go out to a public place and that a oh, burden because just because I'm a gay man, like I, it, it seems crazy. So that's what I'm like, this is a slippery slope that I, I don't, I'm not necessarily on board with vaccines. Um, e- even though I feel like there's a lot of liberals that are like, we need to do this vaccine passport. Um, let me rephrase that. I'm not on board with the vaccine passports. Not getting the vaccines, yes. Uh, but having to show proof that you have it. Yeah, I don't it, think like, it's necessary. Um, that's just getting into your health records and. But
1: if a private corporation wants to do that. I think it's fine
0: Yeah, I mean I yes but I don't think that's something that should be I think norm. they have the
1: right to is what I'm saying I don't necessarily agree with it
0: yeah I think that's crazy but I mean it's interesting in the article too there's uh, this out, Fauci a couple you know, several times so it's just crazy to think back I mean some of these stories Well, Fauci
1: was huge in the 80s and 90s he was the point lead man really an advocate for gay people It. he didn't He wasn't necessarily in the beginning. Yeah. But he came around and became a huge, fierce. He's an icon in the gay history of someone who really pushed the government uh, to do something for gay people and Speak- led a lot of the research.
0: Speaking of gay history, I forgot to say we have a special guest on our podcast today, uh, cause I get so excited about a hundred, but we're celebrating hundred episodes with a, a very special guest. who's not on the mic yet, but we'll tune tap into the interview and in a little bit with Rodney Wilson. He's the, uh, founder of LGBT history month. And we've talked about him back in, uh, or LGBT history month and the founding. And um, he's a key ingredient to that story, uh, uh, on episode eighteen, so if you want to hear that, you can check out episode eighteen. But of course, Rodney Wilson is going to tell you firsthand. Yes. <laughs> so. and it started
1: as Gay and Lesbian History Month, and then now it's inclusive of LGBT. But that just shows, even within our own movement, how it's evolved to be more inclusive of people that pretty much outside the heteronormative mainstream. I just say queer. Yeah. Well, but that doesn't even encompass it. If an asexual person isn't queer, anybody who doesn't. Strictly consider themselves straight because that is a a group that's in the power structure, right? Of we're the only ones that exist. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. So but we're learning that we're learning pansexual and we're learning that it's a full spectrum.
0: Yep. Yeah, I mean, so it's fascinating. Well, here, like I said, we'll get into it in a little bit uh, to hear him talk about uh, his journey. Um, obviously, we we I think we did somewhat uh, of a service. I mean, he didn't uh, totally read us for uh, the you know our episode eighteen, but of course, he tells he it. He did hang up on us, right? <laughs> in better detail, um, although you did say in episode eighteen when we talked about him, uh, you asked if he was still alive, and so this was just validation
1: that he is. <laughs> well, at the yeah. time, um, I had had a cocktail. <laughs> just one <laughs> no but i i didn't connect the dots today in doing more research before interviewing him um, and it was a great interview that he had a big impact in my childhood at a certain time in 1994 when he came out and he'll tell a story it's very fascinating um and i was like that's that guy who you have to stay tuned and listen to that because it was very it was a crazy moment full circle moment of actually talking to a guy that brought me a lot of stress (laughs) yeah which we will talk about i don't want to give it away now um yeah and i yeah i'll
0: just say it did get very emotional and i was surprised i was i was thinking there was yeah he got emotional. So, I how mean, did my makeup look? Uh, you, it still looks smudged. Oh,
1: well, don't uh, never know. It's a podcast. Yeah,
0: that's why we have you on a podcast, not a YouTube channel.
1: <laughs> uh, the cable access show didn't do too well, <laughs> but I think, I mean,
0: I think he was kind of taken aback too. So, you'll have to have to listen to the interview, but yeah, that's ex- exciting. I mean, we thought, uh, as I mentioned in just a bit when was part of the interview, you know, a hundred episodes of LGBT history. Like, why not talk to the guy who. Like started the formal uh, commemoration of LGBT history with LGBT History Month, and that happens every October.
1: he's historical for two big events to me.
0: um, We got a one-two punch.
1: Yeah, we're very closely in the same year, basically, same twelve months.
0: I like you know, not to brag on us, but the the interviews we've had thus far so now I set the bar. But and this, oh
1: gosh, very be good, <laughs> you got to deliver.
0: Uh, they they have struck a one two punch. They have they they have a their own place in history. Um, I mean we, when I'm talking about not my mom, but she does. But uh, when we interviewed uh, Anise and Zaylor. Uh, and now Rodney um, these... We had that
1: Madonna episode That we had that technical glitch And we were never able to air it Yeah And it was good
0: Man, her and Gaga <laughs> That was following. so good they, they did a duet, remember? Yeah, unreleased right. music <laughs>
1: um,
0: But, you know, they're part of history themselves So they're not just like Oh, I'm going to write a book about history But they ha- hold a place in history themselves Which is kind of Again, I think it serves the purpose of our podcast We want to talk about historical events And these folks As you'll hear from Rodney Wilson He talks about his historical events. I mean, he was on national news uh, when he came out as a teacher, um, and then of course he is the founder of LGBT History Month along with some other folks. So awesome, awesome! I mean, I, he was the 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 main force behind it, but he he definitely he'll talk about the the team he rallied to to make it happen. So well, don't um, tell him too much. Yeah, no, we gotta hear. It. It's a great it's a great interview. He's easy, he was super easy to talk to. Um, yeah, and um,
1: well, your nephews did call a few times. So if you're not able to edit out that ringtone. <laughs> Your Beyonce ringtone, then I don't stop. think you're gonna be able to talk to them again. It
0: is it is the interview uh, stop. Tell that's the ringer. Stop them <laughs> And they kept texting <laughs> you. Yeah, they
1: did. But they were the ones that called during that Madonna Lady Gaga joint interview we did that. So it's it twice crashed, and no one will hear that unheard music. <laughs> yeah.
0: So here it is twice that uh, yeah. that we won't. Uh, um, <laughs> we you know but you'll hear the interview. The interview is great and listen to it. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I didn't ask him, but we had such good time and, uh, good discussion. Uh, but you know, why does it matter? Because this is the question we get, right? Why do we still have to celebrate? Why do we still have to have pride? Why, Why do we still have to have LGBT history month? And, um, the reason we have to have it is because of things like that just recently happened at the beginning of the month in, uh, in Arkansas, right? Arkansas passed the first—it's uh, the first state to, to ban gender-confirming confirm- treatments and surgery for transgender youth.
1: Yeah, so puberty blockers, uh, hormone, replacement, hormone replacement therapy, and gender reassignment surgery. It's illegal for a doctor to perform that if they're caught performing any of those medical functions for a trans youth person. Uh, it's a felony.
0: Yeah, and they did it as a—they overrode a, a veto, right? So the Arkansas— Well, so the legislature
1: passed it, and then the the Republican governor was like, this is too crazy even for me. The actual name of the bill is Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act. Right. Which is even in the name, it's hateful. Yeah. So he said um, this takes choice away from patients, which I thought, wow, that's doesn't sound like a Republican to me. Vetoed it, and they overrode him, which takes three fourths majority to do.
0: Yeah, it was uh, the House, uh, Arkansas House, voted seventy-two to twenty-five, and the Senate voted twenty-five to eight. So it wasn't even close. It was it was a overwhelming. No,
1: what we're seeing right now, veto. it happens often in history. The pendulum swings constantly to where the conservatives start getting very fearful, or conservative politicians want to stoke the religious fear of people and bias and hatred, so they pass all these laws to temporarily get votes and attention and money, and they're doing that right now with trans people. Tennessee, there are several states that have banned... Actually, Arkansas, the same governor the week before, signed a bill saying transgender children in school have to... Perform sports in the sex that they consider themselves born into. They, as in, I guess the legislature.
0: So basically, their biological sex.
1: The one society has deemed them, right. yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um,
0: they're yeah. So that uh, I don't know. That's it's so crazy. it's a wave of
1: anti-trans laws.
0: The only thing that I feel is somewhat better than maybe we'll say thirty years ago is because you know talk about Rodney Wilson. You know when he was making headlines uh, in the '90s the the story the interest or even on when he was on uh, Dateline uh, Maria Shriver was the anchor and, and the lead in was would you want your kid uh, in his classroom
1: like you know it was yeah just... one of them was should teacher gay teachers be allowed to teach right
0: and so I don't see the headlines like that now so that's I guess the only positive thing is that the journalism isn't you know describing it in a no, way no but
1: the danger right now is that there's a huge push they always Racism, homophobia, they just... When it becomes passe, they change the verbiage and the language. Hatred always morphs. So right now, there's a big judicial movement, conservative movement, to claim everything is religious freedom. So if you tell someone they can't discriminate against a gay person, they say, but it's against my religion to accept a gay person. Right. And then my religion trumps your chosen lifestyle. So... What I fear is, especially with Trump's more conservative uh, Supreme Court, that they're going to be all these. We're going to take a step back. People's rights are going to take a step back momentarily in the name of religious freedom. That's just the new thing that they're using. I would agree. I
0: just I feel like the uh, so I think I mean what, and what matters is the court, right? Because they're the ones who can going to decide what's legal, what's not. But I do think with with the news articles being somewhat neutral and conservatives would argue bias uh, against them, uh, you know, without the leading headlines, like should, you know, trans kids exist, like those sorts of things. Uh, it is a bit, it doesn't scare p- as many people. You know what I mean? The con- so the politicians themselves have to do the scaring. It scares the-, the
1: people that are in power, meaning the state legislatures and the, the people that are appointing the State judges, and right. Electing the state judges.
0: I guess my point is the politicians have to do all the dirty work. It's not journalism trying they're to create uh, uh, headlines and you know uh, getting viewers uh, on network television. Now the reason they're able to do that is because they have social media platforms where pe- they have direct access to. To the uh, uh, to the voters, to the their their constituents, whereas before they had didn't have to do it, and it would generate clicks. Um, so now the all the media has to do is just report what these politicians say yeah. versus creating the story themselves. So that's the only thing that I think is yeah, uh, in many ways
1: th- things have gotten better for LGBT people. However, once you acknowledge it, it's very easy to just rest and stop talking about it and stop bringing it up, and people will tell you. What more do you want? Have you had people, my own family? What more do you want? You got married. Yeah, yeah. You people allowed to be in the military now.
0: But again, I think Rodney Wilson's story, we'll talk about uh, in a bit, is is power to that we have to keep telling the story. the The celebration of the history, the honoring of the history, is important because it's not all good history. Uh, there's bad parts and, and dark parts of history. And you know, again, in the context of this Arkansas law that just passed. It's still happening. It may not be happening to lesbian and gays, um, but it is happening to uh, trans our trans siblings, right? So that's that's something that, uh, you know, why LGBT history matters. That's why it's matters. important to
1: know your history.
0: Amen, so we don't repeat it. So, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess I won't be heading to Arkansas anytime soon.
1: Oh, didn't you go several times a year before? <laughs>
0: No, Um, but when I'm ready to book a trip, I'm going to talk to our friends at Cruise Planners. Are you finally ready to book that getaway? Then who better to book your next vacation than with our friends at Cruise Planners? Cruise Planners is rated number one in the country. Aside from the fact that these guys are LGBT and veteran-owned franchise, Cruise Planners was also co-founded by a member of our community. As our land and cruise experts, they provide the best service possible and work closely with all forms of travel, including other LGBT-owned vacation suppliers. No matter where you are in the U.S., Cruise planners can help you. If you can dream it, cruise planners can book it. So call today at 210-560-1325. Again, that's 210-560-1325. Or you can visit uh their website at isleseatravel.com. That's i s l e seat travel.com. I'll Seat Travel, the best seat to have who's booking your next escape. Ilc
1: Travel. I love it. I'm you know? um, ready to go Where are you going? Get. <laughs> well we're about to go to our slang bang segment Slang bang Slang bang. This week's gay slang of the week Is I feel like I might have done this one And you know my memory Tell me if I've done it Yikes I hope you have a backup then Because <laughs> we can't do <laughs> it Is Goldilocks
0: Oh no I don't know okay, Goldilocks
1: go I don't know her Well, guess? You like to talk about pee a lot No it's not that A blonde It's wholesome pers- because we have Rodney on would it honor him uh,
0: uh, he is blonde yeah um, I don't know uh, Goldilocks the three bears uh, oh, a uh, blonde twink that likes
1: bears it is a queer woman who hangs around gay bears
0: love it Goldilocks
1: mm-hmm.
0: I don't I mean are there a lot of Goldilocks that, that warrants a term
1: oh she a Goldilocks at least one who named herself that I'm sure <laughs> the one person i'm gonna
0: go ahead and put this in my uh What is? what's the where do you get these what's your source bank for uh uh your slang bang uh
1: hours of research daily uh, hours of
0: research what's the one website i go to the
1: bathhouses i go to the public restroom park restrooms yeah. Yeah. i yeah. ask sir excuse me I knock on the door <laughs> tap your foot you got any slang for me you tap <laughs> I reach phone. under the stall you too
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's one way to find out yes um uh, all for
1: the listeners. Uh,
0: what, what a lead-in then. I mean, this is why uh, Rodney Wilson did what he had to do. He fought bravely against conservatives in his state so that he could be a teacher. Uh, and uh, and he promoted, he worked tirelessly to, to get uh, LGBT History Month uh, in the curriculum of schools so that we could honor it and celebrate it. Also, that we could have these uh, wonderful segments of Sling Bang where we talk about...
1: <laughs> it's important. It's going in the ar- archives too. It is.
0: It's true. It's true. All right. Well, uh, why don't we get into our interview? We have Rodney Wilson today. He is ed- an educator and most notably, he is the founder of LGBT History Month. And we thought we're hitting our 100th year an- hundredth uh, year anniversary. We've been alive uh, around for 100 like years. <laughs> our 100th episode. And what better way to celebrate our podcast about LGBTQ plus history than to chat with the man who made it something to celebrate. So, Rodney, welcome to our podcast. We appreciate you having, uh, appreciate you joining us today.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Kendall. Appreciate the opportunity.
0: For sure for sure uh, I said we you know we are a podcast that talks about LGBTQ history and we thought it would definitely be appropriate uh, since you put this you know, celebration of LGBT history Month on on the calendar before we kind of get into kind of how you started that and what the inspiration was wanted to just kind of get to know a little bit about you uh, uh, we talked about LGBT history Month uh, in an earlier episode and uh, hopefully we did it justice because I know you checked out that 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 episode but um, what well, to know about you because as we were chatting ahead of this interview, uh, you shared uh, a documentary that's out uh, uh, out about you, about your teaching experience, Taboo Teaching, a Profile on a Missouri Teacher. Uh, and so um, so I found that fascinating. So I want to dive into that. But before we get, get there, I'd just like to know like a little bit about you because I know you grew up in Missouri, kind of in a rural area. So like, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Uh, sure. Yeah, I, I was born um, in rural Missouri, in uh, right smack dab in the middle of the 1960s, and growing up, um, there wasn't much leeway in my particular town or in that region or, frankly, you know, in the country, for someone to be in any way out of the norm or to be different, and. I had a consciousness that I was different, quote unquote, uh, very early in my life. Uh, and I knew with absolute certainty uh, by age eight um, that I was different, that I was one of those uh, people that my dad would call queer, uh, which at that time was was only a derogatory name to be used for someone who was considered weird or perverse. Um, my mother would use the word homo. And I always remember feeling very uncomfortable when I would hear that kind of language coming from my parents. So I kept it to myself. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't do anything about it. Uh, But I can remember as a kid, 10 years old, even being really happy about something, whatever that something might be, And then I had this really odd way in which I would take that happiness and then I would crush it by bringing to my mind this reality that I'm very different and I'm not going to fit in and I'm not going to have a place in the society and in the world. I'm gonna disappoint my parents and just all sorts of things that uh, a young person should not have to deal with. I, I was loved of course by my parents um, they, they did uh, a very good job, I think, raising me, uh, even though, you know, they didn't understand homosexuality, you know, they had no idea about this spectrum of, of sexual orientation and gender identity, uh, so I don't hold anything against them, obviously, for that, but I, I would find myself just feeling this utter sense of dread and demoralization Uh, Inside, when I would think about the reality of what my life would be, I even thought about becoming a Catholic priest um, just because it would be a way that people would no longer ask me, Why aren't you dating? or Why aren't you married? And I wasn't even Catholic. I'd never even been in a Catholic church. I just knew that if you were a Catholic priest, you're not supposed to marry. And so then there would be the way in which I would. Uh, explain to the world without having to do so why I, I wasn't dating or i was not married so that was my uh, my growing up years and then i just carried that secret with me that really was a, a terrible weight on my shoulders i i i'm a bit disconnected from young people today even though i still work with young people as a teacher i'm h- hoping that that disconnect is not something that they feel so strongly i'm hoping that that young people are far less likely today to walk around with a, a load of bricks on their back. Uh, but I did for, for quite some time until I went away to college.
1: Were there any gay people in the little town? Because it was pretty rural, right? Did you see other gay people, whether it be adults or even kids in your life? No,
2: no. Uh, I, as far as I was aware, uh, this was a small town of about 2,500 people. And as far as I was aware, I was the only person Uh, There was someone, a man who played on my dad's softball team. Uh, He was the pitcher on the team. And I can just remember that dad warned us to stay away from him uh, because there was some suspicion about him. He had never married and he still lived with his mother. I don't know what his story was, but no, absolutely not. There were no openly LGBT people anywhere in, in my world at all at that time.
1: And if you can't see it, you don't know there's a life possible for you of normalcy, especially at that time.
2: That's right. And what I would see, of course, would come through television. And there wasn't much on television. um, But you will recall, perhaps, uh, the 1970s was a tumultuous period uh, in a way unlike the tumultuousness of the 1960s. Um, You know, in the 1970s, you had the Anita Bryant crusade in Lee county, Florida. You had the Briggs Initiative in California, in which the people of California were literally asked, do you want gay people teaching your children? The good news is they they said, sure, that's fine. Not by a great margin, but they said, sure, that's fine. But all of these news stories had a way of bleeding down even into, you know, rural white Missouri. And I would just feel so uncomfortable when these stories were on television. And I, it, it further reinforced the idea that I, I would not be able to do what I wanted to in life. And when I started thinking about being a teacher when I was in high school, I remember thinking that it's an impossibility, that, that gay people cannot be teachers. And so for a long time, I, I put off that idea of being a teacher, but over time, Uh, you know, I recognize this is what I wanted to do. I like to learn. I like to teach what I've learned. Therefore, I should be a teacher.
1: How did you kind of navigate that um, fear of being a teacher?
2: Well, I had set aside the idea of being a teacher because of the concern that it was not a possibility because of all of that controversy in the 1970s about the place of gay people in the world. Harvey Milk, 1978 assassination, 1981, the first AIDS cases diagnosed. And so, you know, that's the world I'm living in. I'm 16 in 1981. So I decided instead of going to college after high school, uh, which neither of my parents had either, um, so it wasn't really part of the custom or culture of our family, I decided to go to work at Walmart, which was mm-hmm. the, the best job available uh, in in that area, thinking that I would make a career of that. So I worked at a Walmart store until I was 21, at which point I recognized that wasn't the life for me. And I began going to a nearby community college for two years, then a state school for two years, got the uh, bachelor's degree to begin teaching. So it was a slow process of deciding, okay, the business world isn't for me. And I really love history and I love reading and I love studying and I love researching. of course, at that time, we didn't have much to research on except you know, an encyclopedia or something at the library. But it was at that point I decided, okay, I'll be a teacher. I'll just never tell anyone the truth.
0: Did you find any, uh, like, source of of, uh, inspiration, though? I mean, in the 70s, right, there were some progress made, right? I mean, there was starting to be a a public celebration of being gay, right? I mean, it wasn't wasn't what it is today. But uh, you had the, you know, the first pride parades uh, and events. You had Harvey Milk. You had, I mean, again, people were just being, not it was a bit more decadent right in the, in the, in the seventies. And um, you had, you had a number of people that were coming out I think uh, uh, you had a soldier come out on the cover of time. So were, were any of those things like a, a source of like, okay, well maybe there is a, a glimmer of hope for me that I, I can,
2: you know, be out. I don't think so. I think the, the negative came into my life like an avalanche and what positive there was in the 70s, just sort of trickled around and just barely made it you know, into my mind. So for me, certainly through the 1980s even, um, this was being a gay person in my case was something that just was not going to work, was not going to be accepted, uh, that was going to cause all sorts of mayhem and trouble and sadness and aggravation. So no, I, I can't say there was anyone that I started to look at as an example in the LGBT community. I did, however, begin to focus my attention on uh, people like, and I know it's a cliche, everybody says it, but it's true. People like Martin Luther King, like the black civil rights movement, because this, this I recognize this as a group of people who also were not equal in our country who had struggles uh, in our country who were not accepted uh, as equal citizens and given the same rights and privileges and merits uh, that white people are given so i began to perhaps take some of my energy for what later i would use in the lgbt movement and began to study martin luther king study the civil rights movement study black history a course of which i took an undergraduate Uh, study women's history. a course, I took in graduate school. And I began to see, wow, there's so much more to this story. There's so much more to American history than just what white men did. Uh, There's also this other area of of the story. And so I got inspiration and help, I think, through uh, great women who stood up and said, this isn't going to work. You know Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan mm-hmm. B. Anthony, the first women's rights convention in 1848. Extraordinary um, people like W. E. B. Du Bois, of course, Frederick Douglass uh, of the Civil War era, Martin Luther King in the 20th century. So these individuals began to inspire me.
0: So no, di- no gay divas, no Diana Ross or Judy Garland or anything. <laughs> no, well, of course, you're a history guy.
2: Yeah, I loved, I loved, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, um, The Wizard of Oz. I loved Judy Garland, but, you know, it, it didn't, share. Uh, I loved Cher, you know, the Sonny and Cher show was, was a family uh, gathering, you know, we gathered to watch Sonny and Cher and gathered to watch Hee Haw, so we had both ends of the spectrum. Um, but yeah, I just didn't connect. Betty Davis, I love Betty Davis, and I loved all her movies, but I didn't connect any of that to a gay community.
0: Yeah, it's funny because you know we have this ongoing discussion. We'll do segments of yes, you know, a Judy Garland or a Cher, uh, just because there was a lot. You know, there's a connection to, to many members in the community, but you know, especially nowadays, uh, the younger folks are saying, you know, I don't, I definitely don't feel any connection to Madonna or Cher. Which you know, to, to someone Kendall my age, is like that's that's you're saying, right, you're heresy. Uh, but uh, but the younger folks are like, we have our own gay icons. We have Rodney Wilson, that we could look at, he actually did something not uh, for the community People versus in the gay community, <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the gay community. Not you know, Madonna's great that she celebrated her dancers, but Rodney Wilson put you know, LGBT History Month on, on on the calendar, right? And so it's that sort of thing that they, the the Gen Zs and uh, and folks are really starting to kind of push, uh, maybe us uh, older millennials, Gen Xers, to like, hey, <laughs> I guess we do need to uh, come up with uh, not come up with, but make sure we study our history a bit uh, more, which is what's fun about the podcast. Uh, that we do. The one thing I would say is, you know, we've talked about this before. But you, you know, deciding to go work at Walmart instead of becoming a teacher, it is uh, just, you know, it's a testament to like how sad it was at the time that you know we lost a lot of talented people to uh, maybe other you know, other professions because they didn't feel that they could be out and be a teacher or be a politician or be a doctor because again they felt I, I can't be that that great person and and be out of the closet and be who I am, right? Luckily, you, you kind of overcame that uh, that and decided to go, you know, be a teacher and, and have since inspired you know, generations of not generations. You're not that. You're not, you're not old. I was like, uh, but and no, a number of, of students over the years to, uh, to to be better. So
1: were there gays in college that you saw that you could kind of see living a different life? Well, that
2: that's when the process started. Actually, I happened to be in my dorm room in the spring of 1989, looking at the school newspaper and I saw a a half page, perhaps a whole page ad for the GLSA, Gay and Lesbian Student Association. It had been founded on the campus a couple of years prior to 1989. uh, But I became aware of it in 1989. And they had a, a pride line, a phone number you could call and they had a P.O. Box you could write to, P.O. Box 31. I still remember that. And, of course, we didn't have internet or email or cell phones or texting or anything like this. So I wrote a letter to P.O. Box 31 in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, 63701, uh, asking for a meeting with uh, somebody from the GLSA group. And I was very paranoid. It was like, Mm. you know, a, a spy thriller or something. I. I went to the post office immediately. I mailed the letters so I wouldn't perhaps get killed in a car accident. Someone would find the letter and in the letter I specified, I want to meet on this day at this time in this restaurant, in this mall, and this will be the seat I'm in. I mean, crazy stuff, but that's how scared I was. That's how scared a lot of people have been. Uh, This was 1989, not very long ago, 32 years ago. Uh, and fortunately, the advisor of that group met me there, and that began the conversation. He introduced me to the president of the GLSA, uh, John Bois, a friend of mine to this day, one of my great life friends. And I began to get to know her and her partner, and then they introduced me to a few others, and, and then we formed this little group. We had this little group of young gay people. In Cape Girardeau, Missouri, on the Mississippi River, a very conservative area. I think like 81% voted for Trump in the last election in that area. Uh, Rush Limbaugh's hometown, of course, so that kind of gives a little more color. Um, And that began the process. We would take trips up to the city to go see uh, a play. uh, That Uppity Theater Company in St. Louis they would do gay and lesbian-themed plays and. And we went up to watch one of those. We went up to go to the Metropolitan Community Church in St. Louis, You know that, uh, founded by Troy Perry in 1968, the UFMCC, the quote unquote gay church. So we would take field trips up to the city, uh, go to Our World 2, which was a bookstore at that time in St. Louis um, for uh, gays and lesbians. So that's how I began that process of getting acquainted with St. Louis, getting acquainted with the gay community having a network of gay friends when I was in college uh, so it really did start then as a college
0: student it's so crazy to hear you talk about like the mental energy you use to stay in the closet and to coordinate that meeting I mean that is a lot of unproductive you know use of I mean it, it was productive at the time but you think about you know you could have been doing something you know studying harder or you know uh, getting involved in other things and said you were trying to figure out a way that um, and, and it's, it's the same thing. I mean, I remember going through similar things of, in terms of your search history on the internet or, you know, who you were talking to or where you were like and, and all these paranoid things, like someone might catch me on camera or doing this and things that are absurd. Uh, but it, it's in your mind. Like this could be a reality and then I'll be caught. And then, you know, my family, and then I can't do what I want to do when I grow up. This, these sorts of things. So it's the mental gymnastics. That, like, again, it was productive for you because it was a way to kind of uh, defend yourself. But, it's just so much, you know. We talk about coming out at work, which I, you know, I I think is an interesting story you have as well, uh, because you you went on to become a teacher uh, and then stirred a bit of controversy uh, when you came out uh, to your students.
2: Yeah, I've thought before, uh, and I don't regret anything. I'd, I'd be born in '65 again if I could. I'd be born gay again, and so on. Uh, but I've thought before: how much time have I spent? just trying to assert my right and the rights of others who are like i am to have a full fulfilled life uh without uh fear of intimidation or threats or discrimination you know how much energy as you put it uh, mental gymnastics uh, has been spent on that process and uh it's a lot
1: yeah i used to uh Everything I did went through the filter as a child up until even in teenage years or even early 20s to where, for instance, if I was with a group of people, I wouldn't even take a sip of a glass of water because what if the water on the table the way I picked it up made me look gay? And now four people now have that realization that I'm gay and then they tell four more people. I mean, literally every single thing, the way you breathe for a lot of us was, is this going to make me gay, therefore make me a target? It's really survivability. It's a survival mechanism that we have um, that affects you for the rest of your life, even when you become more comfortable being gay. Um, I, w- I really wonder, and I want talk to you when we get into your teaching, if you feel younger kids these days are going through that same issue, because now we hear that it's so much better. But before we get to that, um, you came out, and tell us about in 1994 in Melville, Missouri, um, you were a new sensation by coming out to your students. Will you tell us about that?
2: Yes. Um, I started teaching in 1990, and uh, it was a suburban high school outside of St. Louis. I loved what I was doing, teaching introduction to government, American history, world history. I really loved it. I, I love working with the students. They were 14 to 17 generally. Uh, but I also started getting more and more involved in the St. Louis LGBT community. Uh, I started going to the Metropolitan Community Church because one of the things I had done with my energy was I, I decided to dive into studying, reading, and religion. So there's where I was putting all my energy as a teenager and early 20s. So I'd go to the church there in St. Louis, and then I got involved in the um, the AIDS vaccine studies at the Center for Vaccine Development at St. Louis University. So I was getting involved in the community. And I was trying to keep my life as a teacher separate from my life as outside of the classroom, a person outside of the classroom. I remember I would take my uh, Melville parking pass off my rearview mirror anytime I was at the, for example, the MCC, the church, because I was afraid somebody might see it report it back to the school. And then I started going to the National Education Association conferences on gay and lesbian youth. And uh, the whole country really began to think about how gay and lesbian youth are suffering. They're dropping out more likely than non LGBT youth. They are having substance abuse problems more often, um, uh, being kicked out of their homes more often. So I started really looking into that. But overwhelmingly, I think the issue for me was I. I knew that eventually this information was going to come out and I wanted it to come out when I was ready for it to come out. So I began processing the reality. Here I am in my fourth year teaching now in Missouri under the tenure law, you're granted tenure or denied tenure after your fifth year. So as a fourth year teacher, I was in a precarious uh, situation but i was feeling overwhelmingly compelled that you know this is the time just to say what's going on and i used um a lesson it was in the spring so we were talking about world war ii you know we were near the end of the of the book and uh, the holocaust of course uh, was being emphasized uh, by me and by the textbook and i simply used that as an opportunity um to say You know, I I could have been one of these individuals who might have suffered under paragraph 175 of the German uh, code. It preceded Nazi Germany and it also survived Nazi Germany until it was finally repealed uh, 20 or 30 years later. Uh, But that was the means whereby I publicly stated to my classroom of students, you know, I'm gay. Here's a poster from the Holocaust Museum in D.C. with various patches that various individuals would would wear to identify them in the camps, I might have had to wear a pink triangle. So that was the way in which I revealed myself fully uh, as an integrated person in my classroom to my students in March of 1994. You must have been so nervous. I was nervous, but I also knew that it was just absolutely inevitable And it had to happen. And that was the right time and the right moment. Um, And I felt it was not taking advantage of a moment in a way that's an ulterior motive, but in a way that can be a moment of a profound uh, teaching experience Mm -hmm. or lesson for students. Um, And the good news is that overwhelmingly uh, students were, a little surprised by that information, uh, but overwhelmingly not problematic. Uh, I had, you know, a few nasty notes put under my door or written on things. I, you know, heard some words shouted at me in the hall a few times, or when I was out and about in the community. Uh, there were things in uh, newspapers that, you know, were written. In fact. I know your audience won't be able to see it, but I'll hold it up for you. Teaching Gay History Goes Against God's Word. I was just looking at that mm. the other day. This was something that was published in a local newspaper in August of 1994. So it was a, um, a rough period following March of 94 all the way through the spring of 95 uh, in terms of whether or not I would be granted tenure. Uh, the National Education Association or the Missouri NEA actually provided an attorney for me. So I had an attorney advocating for me. Uh, there were things that uh, appeared in the press that I think were helpful to me because my school district was aware that if they did let me go, uh, they couldn't do it in darkness or silence. There'd be a light put on it. So all of these things sort of conspired. I I was a good teacher, I had good reviews and so on. So all of these things uh, created a situation in which I was granted tenure uh, at the end of the school year, 94, 95.
0: So you dropped this news. You're the first teacher in Missouri in grades K through 12 to come out. Right. And uh, as I understand, one news report was like the, the students, a lot of them clapped after you you know, shared that news and a couple of the, the girls in the in the class cried. Uh, But the reaction, as you noted, from the from from the broader community was uh, less than uh, supporting in many instances. Right. You had uh, because your your story, your coming out story at school uh, generated a lot of headlines uh, in the state of Missouri, but across the nation. I mean, you were uh, on Ricky Lake and you were on Dateline. Right. Uh, So, uh, I mean, again, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of news was generated from that.
2: Did you expect all of that? No, I didn't expect it, nor did I I seek it. But in retrospect, it was good uh, because it put the story out there. It kept it in the daylight. It gave, um, I hope, a lot of young people in 1994 the opportunity to see another gay person on television. I, I don't remember precisely when the famous Time magazine, Yep, I'm Gay, Ellen DeGeneres cover was. I think that was 96. So this was happening you know, shortly before that so i'm i'm glad that that happened um i'm glad that it was taken note of because i think that's the best way to protect oneself is for those who might want to do you harm to know that they cannot do it without others noticing it
1: i got a little teary today i was doing research and watching some of the news reports on you and it hit me because well we joked before this interview, um, before we started recording, that I had asked on, on the topic when we did you, um, is he still alive? And we kind of joked about it, but today, it my heart stopped because I was watching news reports. I was living in St. Louis in 1994, actually St. Peter's, and my dad was a preacher in St. Peter's, and then in 94 in Scott City, which is next to Cape Girardeau, so we would drive through Cape Girardeau. And in St. Louis especially, but on national television, you were in my household constantly, and you scared me to death. <laughs> the situation, oh, I, don't, I don't say that yeah. as like a, how dare you? But as right. a the news was always on, you were on the local news, you were on Dateline, I could not escape you. And it made me so fearful that, because in a conservative household, if you if the word gay comes up, you feel like the entire household looks at you, as then like they're talking about you and you're disgusting. And um, I didn't know how you survived that at the time. And I also was scared to turn on the television because I thought you might be on it. Not in a way that's like um, anything bad towards you. Mm -hmm. But it was that sense of a little gay kid of that word is a weapon, it's poisonous weapon. I am not ready to deal with it. Um, As an adult, the reason I got teary eyed is because it was so necessary for you to go through that. I mean, that is a, a little kid doesn't realize that at a time in the 90s. But as an adult, you, paved away. there were two times in my life when the media focused so much on homosexuality um, that I was, it actually made me probably depressed, which was your situation and Ellen. Mm-hmm. Ellen, it was almost like a PTSD type situation. Um, I look at you in that same breath as Ellen because you were first. And we have to go through the uncomfortable messages and news reports and all that so that we know wait he survived that it's not so bad that i was in a household in a room where you were on the news because it was a media sensation it was what the conservatives were you were propped up as a sense of um they're coming for your kids you know they use you as the media does like they're doing it now with trans kids and sports and like they did with bathroom bills um and in hindsight, it was so necessary for me to see a teacher. I didn't have any out teachers, you know, they were the ones the kids made fun of. Um, but you and I, at the time, it was fear. And now, as an adult, I realize how necessary it was for me to hear that, even though it was uncomfortable. So,
2: may I ask you two questions? Yes. Um, What grade were you in, in 94, 95, and what denomination was your father a preacher with?
1: 94 was sixth grade, and he was Wesleyan Methodist, which is a little more conservative form of Methodism. Um, Yeah, and Missouri is a very conservative state. We had moved from Louisiana in 93, um, and the whole concept of gayness was just as bad in the Midwest as the South, the Deep South. It was inescapable. And that was a very awkward time, 6th, 7th grade. So it also, you're, you coming out was a time where it was I was probably the most fragile up until my little 12, 13 years at that point to um, hear that. But like I said, it's you go back as you're older and think about, for me, Ellen, and you, now that I've actually connected the two, seen the news reports, and that's helping little kids or even adults. Some people come out at 60, 70. And they hear it, they realize here's a respectable person. He's not doing anything. And you took a lot of heat for us, I feel like. Uh, So thank you for that. Um, But it's ever since I realized it today, I was like, this is surreal. He was in my living, it was as if you were in my living room and it was very, I dreaded when you came on the TV. I didn't dislike you for that. But it just goes to show how it is important. We talk about it on the podcast all the time. The most radical, revolutionary, brave thing a gay person or trans person can do is simply to say, I'm gay or trans.
2: Exactly.
1: And you have no clue who that's going to affect. And For you to do it on international TV was a huge deal. And I know that wasn't even your um, intention, but that's what happened. And you did it very well and very respectfully, respectably.
2: Thank you. Your, your words mean a lot to me. I could tear up, too, uh, if I allowed it to happen. Um, that, that does mean a lot to me, and I understand completely because uh, you asked earlier, and I had forgotten, Billy Crystal on the um, soap, the mm-hmm. comedy. Soap always made me so uncomfortable, his character. We watched Soap because we, we liked Susan Harris. We liked that kind of comedy in my family. We would watch it, but he always made me so uncomfortable. he was on the screen because i was looking at a straight man in the 1970s playing a stereotypical sort of gay man and wondering what are my parents thinking are they connecting that i'm like that character so i understand the anxiety and the tension uh that can be felt by a, a young lgbt person uh, in their living room, where they're supposed to be so safe and so protected, it's supposed to be a warm cocoon uh, that protects them from everything on the outside, and when in those moments they are feeling, as you put it, terribly fragile, and wondering, is this in any way exposing me? What, what are my parents or my siblings going to say about what they're seeing? Because that might be one day what they say about me.
1: hmm And how is it going to affect their life if they found out their kid is gay? Is their life going to crumble? Did you have a support system at that time when you came out, when you were all over the news? Um, Who did you go home at night to? Did you have counsel? Did you have friends that you were able to talk to? Uh,
2: The good news is uh, two things. One, um, the high school I taught in had other gay and lesbian teachers who were in the closet, deeply so. And we knew, you know, we'd have little gatherings, like at Christmas. There, there were about a dozen of us, 10 to 12, if I count them all up. Uh, none was out. They were all older than I was. I was the youngest person there. Uh, when I began the coming out process, actually, some of them did back away from me a little bit because of fear that it, it might, you know, expose them or make their secret a little more likely to be told, but still... I did have support uh, from that group. And then secondly, in the summer of 1994, I founded in St. Louis, the first chapter of GLSEN, the Gay and Lesbian Straight Education Network, which was founded uh, by Kevin Jennings and others uh, in Massachusetts in like 1992, I guess. And in 1994, they were ready to go national, So I said, hey, I'd love to start a chapter in St. Louis. And I did that, one, to help gay and lesbian teachers, LGBT teachers, and two, to help myself. I knew in that summer of 1994 that I needed a support network of other teachers in the St. Louis city, St. Louis county, and surrounding region. So we started meeting in, I think, June of 1994, Uh, in St. Louis at a a church uh, that gave us space. And uh, there were 20 of us, 25 of us possibly. That fall, we marched together in the pride parade in St. Louis. So that was an intentional creation of a community on my part because I needed support. And I was also aware that a lot of other people needed support too, but I in that moment needed some immediate support so yes the good news is i had all of that and i had the attorney that the nea provided for me and and those are tremendous um and absolutely necessary when you're going through any sort of ordeal or or trouble or trauma uh additionally i had my friends from college who were still very much a part of my life so that's i'm i'm thankful i had plenty of support
1: had your parents known at that point this isn't how they found out you were gay is it
2: no um i told my mother in um, May of 1991. So almost three years prior to coming out at the high school in March of 94, I told my mother in a phone call. um, And I remember I said very clearly, mom, I, my mom and I have always been very close and we still are. And I said, I want you to be part of my life. I want you to know what's going on. And I, I have to tell you, I'm gay. And her immediate response was, son, I've known for years. Mm. So my mom had this knowledge, this, this discernment about uh, her son. And uh, it took her 24 hours to fully come around and jump on board the gay rights train and, you know, be there for her son in every way. Uh, my dad was more reticent about it, took him a, a longer period of time. Uh, but probably within six months or so, my my dad was, you know, semi-okay with it. And by the time he, well, by the time this ha- these events happened at Melville High School, my dad was, you know, supportive. He was on my side. He felt I was going too far. He felt I was pushing it too much. Um, he felt I was putting myself in danger, uh, but he was fully supportive of, of what I was doing other than, these potential negative consequences that could arise out of it.
0: Did I read something that your dad had later told you that, uh, he was watching, uh, as the, as you were making headlines and, you know, there were uh, angry, uh, people at, uh, town hall meetings and school board meetings. Uh, uh, he was watching from a distance in the truck uh, to seeing if people, how people treated
2: you. Yes. Uh, that was a story. My dad told me and what, was to be our last phone conversation. My father died at age 60 of a massive heart attack without any knowledge that he had heart disease. And in our last conversation before his death, I don't know how that topic came up or how we got to that, but my dad said to me, you know, I used to sit in the truck across from, Lee Ferry was the name of the road in front of Melville High School. And I would watch your car when you got out of school and make sure nobody did anything to you. Um, and of course my dad always had a gun with him and a knife. That's just the way a lot of countrymen are. It's not my style, but it was his. And he was there yeah, to protect me if anything happened. Fortunately, nothing did. I did get my, uh, one, uh, passenger side window, um, beat in once. I don't know if it was related to that, but it was right in the middle of that whole process. So it could have been, but other than that, uh, I never had any threat to property or, or to myself
0: and here he was protecting you I mean you were you were 29 when you when you came out as a teacher uh and uh and yes he was still watching you making sure that you were uh uh gonna be okay even though he he you know had some issues with you with you being gay I think uh I mean the way you went about and I encourage people to kind of watch the the clips as well as the documentary uh because the the your confidence uh despite being the only person out there in a in a very conservative state to come out and and the way you approached the interviews again to your point, you weren't trying to this wasn't the platform you chose uh, but it chose you and the way you presented with confidence again not trying to be the spokesperson for all LGBT people but for just saying hey look I'm. Why, why should I be ashamed of who I am and you know you presented the way you presented your coming out was through a history lesson right trying to give face to uh, an issue that was happening during during Nazi uh, the Nazi rule in Germany so uh, I think it, again just kudos to you because I mean you know you hear, hear Kendall talk about kind of the reaction he had when he watched you no wonder you you thought he was dead you probably killed him in your mind (laughs) from from (laughs) all the time (laughs) Uh, but I think it was just really commendable the way I mean and everyone I go back to listening to the the Dateline clips, it's like, you know, the, the lead into the story was, uh, how would you feel if your kid was, you know, if he, if he was your teacher, or if your your teacher or your kid's teacher was gay, and it's just, it makes you out to be a monster, right? And that's really, I mean, I, just going back to some of the clips that you were you were uh, talking about, you being interviewed, you were trying to just present that gay people weren't monsters, right? I mean, now we're talking about inclusivity and having, you know, uh, being loving, and, and there you were just like, I don't care if you love me or hate me, just, I'm not a monster, right? And so, uh, just trying to dispel that just general myth about gay people.
1: Where does that strength come from? Because you made it look so easily.
2: Well, you know, when you're going through something, you just find a way to push through it. Uh, in retrospect, when I, a few years ago, started uh, taking these videotapes and digitizing them and watching them for the first time in 25 years, it it conjured up The anxiety that I do remember having, but I think actually it might have conjured up more anxiety than I had at the time. So I know there's resentment, you know, a bit of trauma, I suppose, from that time period. But I will say to to my mother's credit, and she and I have a very similar mindset, my mother was always one who stood up for herself and, and didn't let herself be trampled. And I think I got a bit of that that energy. And
1: well, within a year, you you didn't shrink away. You actually, within a year, started. Tell me about the the LGBT History Month that you came up with.
2: Yes. Um, and interestingly, the initial proposal to designate October, 1994, for as then called Lesbian and Gay History Month, I wrote in January. Uh, again, your audience won't be able to see it, but this is the uh, the first draft oh, of that proposal. History right there. <laughs> yeah, and um, I'm actually going to be giving all of this to the Missouri Historical Society, so I'm starting to go through some of the papers. But um, I. I, as I said to you, I took a Black American history course, a women's American history course when I was in graduate and undergraduate school. I took Russian history. I was always interested in, you know, history that wasn't immediately my own. And so when I was teaching high school, I very much celebrated Black History Month in February, Women's History Month in March. Uh, You know, now we have several other history months that have come into existence at the time, but those were the two primary. And... I had a textbook, an American history textbook at the time that had 800 plus pages in it, not one single reference to the existence of any LGBT person at all through all of American history. So here's 800 pages, this textbook, and we're not in there. There's nothing in there about Stonewall, about the first gay pride march in 1970, Uh, Even about the bad things, you know, the Dade County, Florida, assassination of Harvey Milk, you know, none of this is in there, not one reference. And so I started thinking probably in the fall of 1993 that, you know, why don't we have some sort of lesbian and gay history month? And I've been studying a lot of lesbian and gay history at that point because I find I, I am able to ground myself better when I understand what came before me, be it family history or or in this case, um, the history of sexual minorities. And in January, I decided uh, upon reading something in t- uh, Newsweek Magazine, a letter to the editor by a young man saying, you know, we need some gay history. There's no gay teachers in my school, et cetera. And I remember I put that Newsweek magazine down and I took a seat at my electric typewriter and I just started typing up this proposal saying, you know, we can just say by, by fiat really, we can say October, 1994 will be as I write here the first annual Lesbian and Gay History Month by fiat. The event can be organized in flyers, brochures and historical abstracts about past and present lesbians and gays can be sent to every school in the United States and so on. Um, I picked October because uh, February art already taken by Black History Month and Women's History Month. You know, Black History Month was the first one, goes back to 1926. Carter Woodson, only the second PhD, African-American from Harvard to graduate, uh, founded Negro History Week in 1926. He put it in February because of Lincoln and Douglas's birthday. And then that evolved over time into Black History Month. But February was taken, March was taken. You can't do an academic event in the summer. So June, July, August are taken. Um, uh, Native American History Month was already in November. So October seemed to be the right month. Uh, the first March on Washington in 1979, the second uh, Lesbian and Gay March on Washington in 1987 were held in October. Uh, National Coming Out Day was already happening in October at this point. So that's why the month of October was selected. And I started sending this out to every then known uh, lesbian and gay organization. This letter here happens to be to GLAD, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, January 22nd, 1994. So that was happening too. And that was part of why in March of 94, I started to really understand, hey, this idea is taking off. This is going to generate um, press. My name's going to be associated with it. Therefore, I won't get to choose the time, place, and manner in which I give this information to my students. They deserve to hear it from me. That They should have that privilege of hearing this information from me directly, not through the rumor mill. So that was all happening at the same time, the founding of, of History Month, the coming out and then these various media appearances that you mentioned but immediately the idea got a lot of um support from a lot of national lesbian and gay groups um the Gerberhart a lesbian and gay library and archive in chicago came on board kevin booyer was at that time the chair on the board and he's a great organizer uh kevin jennings from glisten came on board my friend john Bois, i mentioned that i met back in college when she was the president of the gay lesbian student association came on board others from i tried to geographically make us geographically diverse Um, we were ethnically diverse we were diverse in terms of sex Um, and we began putting together this packet for october 1994 that people could write to the gerber hart library up in chicago send five bucks we'd send it out to them all of this of course is being done the old way. We, I didn't have an email address myself until the fall of 1994 when I went on AOL. So all of this is being done by telephone, by fax machine, by correspondence through the Postal Service. Um, and by the fall of 1994, it had really quickly taken off. Um, I have here the proclamation from Governor William Weld of Massachusetts, 1994, So this would be one of the first proclamations that we received. Um, Connecticut, Chicago also issued proclamations, Oregon that first month in 1994, or that first year in 1994. So the idea began to take off. Um, Primarily, it was seen as something for secondary schools, nine through 12, and then college uh, and universities. Uh, these days, it's largely colleges and universities, though more and more secondary schools are beginning also to acknowledge that October exists as a history month, just like February or March or November or May, Jewish history month. Uh, it's deaf history month, uh, April uh, March 15th to April 15th, or thereabouts. Um, so lots of groups have now come up with with this idea For me, it was very much modeled on Black History Month. It is an opportunity once a year to make certain we pause and we ponder and we observe the past. We look at people who lived before we did. We look at events that happened before we did. And we use those as a platform for grounding ourselves, strengthening ourselves uh, and then from that, I think we can live a, a happier, healthier, more integrated life. And we can help all of the young people who are also trying to understand that they might be slightly different than the majority. Uh, and they can use that information to move on. It, it's what Carter Woodson said in terms of Black history. He said, you know, this is an opportunity to say that the, the Negro in his uh, uh, lexicon, the, the Black person, has always been part of that as he put it, great theater of events. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? The great Mm -hmm. theater of events. And lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people have as well, so this is an opportunity to, once a year, intentionally make certain we're writing ourselves into the narrative. We're making ourselves part of that story.
1: What's been the reaction from students, uh, and has it changed from the 90s until now when you have these discussions?
2: Yes, it has changed a lot. Um, that's the great news. We, we now have uh, gay-straight alliances in many high schools, many colleges and universities. There are, of course, many exceptions as well. Um, we still don't have federal legislation like the Equality Act that we're going to be trying to push through uh, here sometime in 2021, hopefully. Uh, but I think young people are much more understanding, much more accepting, um, much more aware of the reality that sexual orientation and gender identity uh, have a spectrum and that there, there's some movement in between the, the polar ends of that spectrum uh, that, that we all find ourselves somewhere there. Um, the, the idea now that uh, transgender uh, youth are able to begin, uh, even in youth, the process of, of uh, conforming themselves to who they really are and to living an authentic life. And you know, we still have a lot of work to do around that issue. There are still some states that haven't made it illegal you know for conversion therapy. Look what happened in Arkansas last week when Governor Hutchinson vetoed mm-hmm. a piece of legislation and then it's the Republican you know, legislature overrode him. So we still have a lot to do, but it is better. It, remember that the, the it, it Gets Better campaign, it does get better and things are so much better, uh, but we are not there yet and we still have work that we have to do. And I think October and History Month can be part of that.
1: Have you seen it get better for students? Because it, teachers must see the bullying and see the sad, quiet gay kid in the class. Is it the same as the 90s has it gotten better is it different
2: it has gotten better uh, the awareness around bullying um you know we really did 15 years ago or so start addressing that in a in a way that we had not before before it was kids will be kids let them mm. work it out it builds character no that's not the case now of course, we just went through four years of the biggest bully in American history living in the White House. So obviously, Americans will still accept bullying. They'll still accept mean people. Uh, so that shows that tendency is still there, and we did some backsliding. Uh, but I'm hoping now you know, we, we return to where we were prior to 2016 and try to get back to the idea that human beings should be civil to one another, accepting of one another, accepting of differences, in fact, seeking out differences, supporting those differences, and I'm hoping creating some some legislation that will protect those differences. But yes, things are better. There's no doubt about it.
1: I'm curious as a teacher, a history teacher, who, and basically a historian of gay issues like this, how do you think, because we've talked about on the podcast, including like a, the l- rumors of Abraham Lincoln and James Buchanan and even George Washington, um, should that be included? Should it be even mentioned? I mean, it's so hard to know
2: <laughs> right. if some
1: historical figures were.
2: Yes. I remember a uh, Newsweek magazine, which used to be a really big weekly news magazine along with time and U S news and world report. Um, It did a story on Lesbian and Gay History Month in 1995, so the second annual, and that was the headline, was George Washington Gay. Mm. Okay. Um, You know, we we cannot get into the lives of these individuals because they lived a long time ago. And uh, in fact, like my mother said to me, son, if you had died before you told people you're gay. I was going to come to your apartment and anything that would wow. give that away. I was going to destroy. <laughs> I was going to protect your secret. That has happened throughout history, as we know. So, yeah, we can we can speculate on James Buchanan. You know, Joshua Speed and Abraham Lincoln were very close. Lorraine Hickok and Eleanor Roosevelt. Speculation's interesting. There's a place for it. Uh, but there are so many we don't have to speculate about uh, that I think we can really fill our time and fill the curriculum with those that we don't even have to speculate about. We we're, we can be quite sure um, that they were, they were lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender, and they played a significant role in, in American history. But I must say, I do get a bit of a kick out of saying when Franklin Roosevelt died at the Little White House in Warm Springs, Georgia in April 1945, Uh, he was with his girlfriend and Mrs. Roosevelt was back at the White House with someone who was perhaps her girlfriend, certainly a lesbian, Lorraine Hickok, and they had to get the other women away and get Mrs. Roosevelt to Warm Springs, Georgia and make this all proper and fitting and and so on. So I think little anecdotes like that can actually make a student's ear uh, turn up and might make them a little more interested in the story yeah. if there's a little bit of a you know soap opera to
1: it. Well, it make some real people too, not uh, some grand historical figure that's infallible, like we idolized George Washington. Um, is there any LGBT person in history that you feel is very underappreciated or unknown? That it's like, why don't people know this person?
0: Rodney Wilson. Uh, <laughs> some people think he's dead. No. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> He's alive Perhaps, and well. Yeah.
2: Perhaps we need to explain that on a previous podcast I listened to, there was a question about, well, did he die? Yeah. Uh, and no, I'm very much alive, thankfully. Um, there is a book called uh, A Story of a Life by a man who went by the pseudonym uh, Claude Hartland. It was published in 1901. Uh, He was a Missourian and a teacher and he was seeing doctors in St. Louis to try to be cured of this ailment, which was homosexuality. Um, I think everybody should read that book. 1901, the story of a life, Claude Hartland. It's been reprinted. You can get it everywhere uh, online at any bookstore uh, and it is a really interesting book to see what it was like now, 220, 120 years ago, when this Missouri man who had done some teaching. So I always felt this, you know, little connection to him because Missouri teacher in the closet, trying to understand why he had these desires to try to build a happy life with another man instead of with a woman. So I would recommend uh, that that little book. It's a small book. You can read it in an afternoon or an evening. We'll have to check that out. That's, uh, that's
0: uh, yeah, that's fascinating story. I mean, and the way you describe that, it, it just brings this whole thing more full circle. I mean, just in terms of how we got connected to Rodney. So re- you reached out uh, in reaction to, I guess, a, a blog entry I wrote uh, for the LGBT Chamber uh, in October last year. Uh, I was asked to write something about LGBT History Month. Uh, and so I wrote that. And I think that's, Rodney, what you came across. And then here we are on this podcast. And then to hear Kendall tell his story, because as I saw the documentary, too, uh, a taboo teaching a profile of missouri teacher rodney wilson i was like oh i remember some of this and then for kendall to 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 hear you talk about the story because i know you you i mean kendall's talked to me because kendall and i used to date for almost 10 years and we do this podcast too uh it is it's like i've never heard that story i mean Mm. i've heard you struggling with your sexuality and it was a hard time when you were guys were in missouri and then when you lived in san antonio but to hear this connection (laughs) so well and i
1: actually stopped myself because i could have gone on and on um There were so many, once you were in the news, there were other gay topics because now we're talking about the gay teacher. What else does that, you know, are they, then pedophile, pedophilia comes up, you know, it just becomes a whole theme, just like we're seeing with trans issues. And right Mm -hmm. after you came out, I was, it's so funny to me to think of the setting. I was braiding my mom's hair. As as a gay son does. And a news report came on, and it was something to the effect. And even though I was so highly attuned to it, I missed that they were talking about, you know, at 10, we're going to talk about gay people. Um, But it was a reaction to the media sensation of you coming out. She said, do you think you're gay? And I froze, and I snatched her hair back. (laughs) Wow. And she tugged away, and I said, no, Mom. And I just kind of, she changed the subject because she knew at that moment. But even that since, I mean, she had never asked me before or since when I came out, she was in denial still, she just didn't want to deal with it. It came out to her at 17. Um, but even that it was, it created my worst fear. You, you, you what I described to you about being in the news and hearing it all the time, but what if she asked me, what if it makes her think about it, her son? And it did, and guess what? The world didn't end. I was still terrified. But it allowed me to see, okay, it allowed me to deal with it. Uh, The worst thing that possibly could happen happened. Now, nothing's really fixed, but I know that um, it's in her mind. So, and she's still talking to me, you know, so there's, you never know the ripple effects and you never know how it impacts people. Um, Even people listening now, when you come out, it allows people to study you and how it came about and see what possibly would work for them, or it inspires them and, you honestly never know how just simple being who you are can allow someone else to do that so again thank you very
2: much and may i ask kindle uh, about the relationship with your family now
1: uh the last year has been a struggle for me because of um we have very different uh, we can call them political beliefs but i call them matters of principles and morals um and Issues about being gay and race issues. And it's it's strained right now. But when I did come out, they told me to, well, we'll get your counselor and you just need to... Before I came out, my dad said, never, ever have sex before marriage, ever. That's my greatest wish is that you find a Christian wife. And then literally when I came out, he asked me if I was gay at 17. He said, you just need to have sex with a woman. Mm. And it was very, very sad because you just your whole all of your principles that you built the greatest wish for your son you just snatched away in such a desperate attempt to change your son however by the time i came out i had seen you ellen many other people and i felt so strong even at 17 and myself um i told my best friend at 15 so this has been two years to where i knew you're not going to abandon me so you're going to have to deal with this now you know i know i'm not um I know that this is my journey to go through but I felt when I said it in a sense of there was some little bit of s- safety in it um to feel like okay I can do it and he's not going to lose his job maybe you know but 17 is a year a long time to to learn that and to be okay with that and it takes a I lot hope, of years after coming out
2: I hope all of us um are able to take the the pain that we have felt in our lifetimes, that is so unfortunate, and we want to prevent that in each new generation. But I hope that we we take the pain, and with that, we create a more compassionate person, uh, someone who can, you know, have empathy for others, uh, more protective of the left out. And the outsider, and the outcast, and the one by the wayside. Um, I hope that we use that uh, in order to make ourselves better people who, who are more willing uh, and more interested in, in giving more than we take and, and trying to make the world a, a bit of a better place.
1: We've talked about it. I do not wish being straight ever because being gay has actually made me a better person now i can have compassion for people if i see someone um subjected to racism misogyny transphobia any of that i see myself in that Mm -hmm. you know being ridiculed for something they have no they're just living their life like anybody else i would not have had that compassion i don't think had i not been gay um i
2: understand completely
1: so i'm thankful
0: yeah, I mean, I don't know what inspired 29-year-old Rodney Wilson to, uh, you know, come out of the closet, make national, uh, you know, get national attention uh, and, and inspire someone, at, you know, instill some fear in, you know, people like Kendall, but also inspire them to, to like, okay, this is okay that, you know, you can be gay. And as well as that same year, again, I don't know if you were scared of turning 30 and we're just trying to get all these things in there, but also, uh, you know, lifting off, in you know, a huge effort of LGBT History Month, which we are still celebrating, uh, you know, all these. Years later, so thank you so much uh, for for everything you do today. You're still you're still teaching, is that right in Missouri?
2: Yes, I I moved away from Missouri for many years and lived in Massachusetts, uh, but I came back, and I'm now here until I retire, uh, in a year or two or three, and at that point I'll probably take off again. I don't know when this will air, but um, October comes around every year, so this would be a good time to begin thinking about in terms of any high school group or college group, uh, library, community group, you know, to begin thinking about and planning for uh, something, doing something uh, in October to, to mark the occasion. Uh, maybe our world will be a little more normal this October, I hope, and we can actually uh, gather uh, in theaters and, and watch uh, movies together and, and have book clubs and uh, social events. But I would encourage everybody in in your listening audience to just begin thinking about something they can do in their community, uh, be that an academic setting or a community setting or a neighborhood setting, uh, to mark the occasion in October, and and begin to make it more make this history more uh, known than it is.
0: Yeah, we're coming up on thirty years, so a big milestone for this celebration. So thank you for uh, joining us on our hundredth episode, which will you know uh, is is a big uh, accomplishment for us. But I think even a bigger get that uh, we get to t- chat with you and and your story is very compelling and inspiring. And I'm waiting. You mentioned movies, so I'm waiting for the biopic, Anya. Uh, you know, we'll figure out to you know if we. <laughs> But I, I think yeah. uh, I think it. Uh, I mean, really a great story. Uh, again, there is a uh, documentary out there uh, called "Taboo Teaching," a profile of Missouri teacher Rodney Wilson uh, that is available. It talks about uh, you when you came out as a as a teacher and all of the the headlines that that stirred. And uh, you know, it's a, a I guess a retrospect now because there's you've got some recent commentary from you and from some of your students and old uh, previous coworkers uh, talking about that same experience. So it's a it's a. Uh, you know, Kindle mentioned the emotional. I got a little emotional, too, re- watching it just because it's like, again, because I remember the timeline, but also just the story and kind of everything that you had to hear and had to experience. Uh, we appreciate it because it makes us a, a stronger community. And of course, you know, you, you, you went on to, to help us, you know, get this uh, month, our annual celebration with LGBT History Month. So thank you very much. Rodney, I guess we see you on Twitter at Rodney C. Wilson. Is there any way else we could contact you if listeners are interested in reaching out or learning more about what you're doing?
2: That is also the Instagram handle and the Facebook is facebook.com slash me C. Wilson.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much again. Uh, we were excited to get our 100 uh, episode and we could not have thought a better way to kind of commemorate that uh, special milestone for us than, than chatting with you.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Kendall. It's a pleasure meeting both of you. I hope we will meet face to face one day. Yes, likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: We'd like to thank our sponsor, EconomyWorks. Need help with marketing? Hire a freelancer. Need help building a website? Hire a freelancer. Need help with benchmarking and analysis? Heck, hire a freelancer. We can even help you recruit. Just hire a freelancer. EconomyWorks believes in the power of connection and wants to connect you with its talent network. The talent network has over 1,000 years of experience and it's growing in HR, marketing, IT, accounting, and other specialties. EconomyWorks. When we work... The Economy Works. You can find out more at economyworks.com. That's E C O N O M I W O R K S dot com. All right. So that was our interview with Rodney Wilson, founder of LGBT History Month. What do you think? I loved it. He yeah. was super cool to talk to. Again, the, the, the full circle moment that we all had with, uh, uh, like, Again, how he found out about me, our connection to each other, your connection to him. Like, I... Mine was being blown. Tears a little bit. You guys were getting me all choked up.
1: He's definitely doing the job he's meant to do. Because you could tell he loves history. And he explains it very well.
0: Yeah, good teacher. I wish I was a good teacher like that.
1: It's never too late to go back to school. I guess. (laughs) I wonder if he's taking the students.
0: Right, well, can you teach me? Uh, Yeah, he's... uh, I mean... I don't know. It's just amazing. I mean, if you go back and, again, watch those videos, watch that documentary that we talked about, um, I think, uh, yeah, you just see how very brave he too. was. And he is very humble. And and I love the, how methodical he was when he uh, – just in terms of how you come up with the month. I mean, again, I tried to explain it when we talked about it episode 18, but he, he really did it in a way that's kind of like – it was very purposeful. It wasn't just by accident. in October. It was like we wanted it to be celebrated, uh, and taught, and during the school year. Um, and you know, other events were happening. And I liked the way he modeled it after uh, Black History Month and and uh, Women's History Month. So that was pretty pretty f- freaking
1: cool to talk yeah. to him. And you love an Excel spreadsheet, so maybe y'all had that could map out some things together.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Who would play him in the biopic? I was one I was gonna ask him.
1: He's a handsome man, so we got to do him justice.
0: Yeah. I don't know.
1: (gasps) Oh, Eric Dane. I don't know who that is. He's um, McSteamy.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When would you, at what point in his career, like, uh, you could get him, I guess Ryan Gosling's too. uh, What? That's blonde, you know. He was a blonde and slender uh, when he was 29 telling the stories. Okay, McSteamy. McSteamy's too old. Now Play a 29 year old
1: Never too old I don't know Zac Efron When All he's right. blonde <laughs> Meryl Streep <laughs> uh, can do any role
0: You know Meryl Streep If you watch watched the Dateline clip uh, They do his like Oh in this episode of Dateline It's his story like The gay teacher in Missouri And then it was like Also Meryl Streep and uh, Oh um uh, Kevin Bacon was starring in a movie where they were white water rafting. So oh, I love that the River Wild. Yeah, the following clip was Meryl Streep. So I was like, oh wow! I thought well, that, then that was she the, chose it. I thought that was the meta thing, and you know, here he is, like oh, here you are, like I well, saw She him. played
1: a Jewish rabbi in Angels in America. And fooled most people. They didn't know till the credits.
0: Uh, yeah, You've not, seen it? When did that come out? Recently?
1: No, that was an HBO, like 2003, I think.
0: Oh, a huge. No. Um, Huge
1: Yeah, huge
0: what was huge was our interview with Rodney Wilson. I was excited about that. Again, we hit our 100th episode. Congratulations, Kendall, on getting to 100 episodes. Uh, and I was really, uh, really proud of what we've done, but I'm also proud that we were able to, to, to chat with Rodney Wilson, again, the, the guy, the founder of LGBTQ History Month. You can, uh, as he noted, you can find him on social. He's on Twitter, Instagram, uh, and Facebook. So check him out, follow him, see what he's doing. Um, uh, he was very easy to talk to, so not that I'm encouraging people to go flood his inbox, but he—I mean—he very approachable, so and willing to, to chat uh, about his good work. So, um, so thank you all for uh, listening to our podcast. And Key with us this week, uh, it was a lot of fun. Kindle, you did a nice, nice job and asking those those tough questions. You were the next Oprah. You, oh, thank you. You were the gay Oprah. GoPro.
1: It's not everyone's dream <laughs>
0: Yes uh, special thank you to the guy who's going to edit this uh, Podcast into something <laughs> Useful for everybody to hear Spencer you can find Spencer and Chris at uh, Our spoopy podcast and our rupee podcast Our spoopy for the scary stuff Our rupee for the RuPaul's Drag Race Recaps don't forget to subscribe to us so you can hear future episodes. You can visit our website at letstalkaboutgaystuff.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at letstalkaboutgaystuff and on Twitter at talkgaystuff. You can leave us a review. Please do. Tell us what you think. Uh, if you are, are shy, don't want to do it out in the public, you can drop us a line at letstalkaboutgaystuff at gmail.com. All right. So with that, we are here. We're queer. Get used to it.